Welcome to episode 26 of Seattle Overload, the Seahawks podcast with a heavy dosage of X's and O's. The Seahawks have lost. They are now 5-1. and one. However, we're here with a late bye week question and answer episode, which will hopefully cheer all of you loyal listeners up. Um, we asked you for questions and you gave us them. And now we're going to ask them. That's kind of how this Q&A thing works. Very unfamiliar with it. Thank you to those of you who used the hashtag question overload very very good good performance from all involved yeah griffin though you're here as 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 you speak and uh how you doing how you're feeling about the loss obviously we'll get into that in the the usual bullshit overload episode but you know immediate sort of mm. um i'm really not that i'm not too flustered by the loss just because it was as winnable a game as losable the Patriots game was. So it's just Ooh. like it's just like whatever. They're this is variance and they were on the wrong side of it this time. I think that they are a five and one team. They have an elite offense, a top three offense, with some, you know, fatal weaknesses here and there, which will probably probably make the playoffs really tough in one matchup. Um but I think they're fine, and I still am a believer in the defense being able to um, get its shit together in the long run. Um, obviously, you're like, well, they made all these trades, and they did, and it's not working, and you're right. But like simultaneously, how many quarters have the starting four played together? Um, so you can't really evaluate that. Um, you can't evaluate the process that well because – there's nothing to evaluate because they've only played together for like one and a half total games. So, um, and the games that they did play together, Dunbar was not up to speed yet physically. He he seems to be more like what he was with Washington the past two weeks, and he's been playing good football, um, more or less. So, I don't know. We'll see. I still have faith, and I think they'll win twelve games. How about you? Oh. I think they won well, 13 games, actually. Actually, I don't know. 12 games. But maybe 13. They started the season so well that they've sort of put themselves in a nice position. Huge few games now with, obviously, them playing San Francisco the, next Sunday. Nice teaser from you for that uh, preview element of the podcast. And Yeah, I feel okay about it. I don't have as much faith in the defense that have shown like loads of good stuff. It's just, I don't know. They still don't know what they want to be. Right, they still don't know what they want to be. I mean, Pete Carroll's saying that they're going to pressure more in his latest press conference um, with Adams back, which does make some sense, but also like their cover three with Adams looked fine-ish. But then it's also, can you overcome the D-line? Can you overcome out, like shaky outside cornerbacks? Griffin's probably going to miss Sunday. Yeah. That's not good. We'll get to that. Um in the podcast, which will come out on Friday, I think. We'll record that Thursday night. So, 
questions posed by you overloaders. First up, we have Rusty Cole at Cole underscore Rusty, who says, who do you think will be the best player moving forward? Ryan Neal, Cody Barton, or Jonathan Bullard? I think for 2020, it would be uh, Ryan Neal. Um, when Adams comes back, he's going to be the 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 dime the new dime safety, the dime back. And I think this question is going to be answered just by who would get the most snaps between the three. I mean, Bullard could get snaps, but I think that Neil kind of has, he's a solid player and he's developing and he's kind of hammered out a role and Pete likes him. I don't, I think with the emergence of Brooks that he's too good to take off the field. And while I'm a believer in Barton, I don't see a path for Barton to play much more this year outside of ginormous blowouts toward the end of the season or severe injury to any of the other linebackers. So I feel like Neil is the natural answer. Mm. But Bullard's promising in the small amount of snap, snaps he's played. Long term, I would bet money on Barton because, like I said, I'm a Barton believer. But yeah, no, I'm I'm with you on what you've just said completely. Uh, Bullard, I didn't really see him much uh, last last game. I I've yet to watch the film. Full disclosure, so I'm basically talking a load of crap. But same. Uh, his role could become a bit more restricted given that. You know, Rasheem Green's coming back and he plays that kind of big end spot. That's where Bullard's been filling in. Also, obviously, Snacks Harrison's going to play nose tackle, but that may see Puna Ford play more of three tech or, or uh, even maybe Monet at three tech for real big stuff, which, again, that, you know, that just narrows the playing time. Uh, I, I'm with you that it'll be probably like Cody Barton in the future. Still, there's elements of a really good player. He just needs to be able to, uh, learn how to run through and spill in the fit and he will have time. He's still got two years on his deal after this year and his second season and he will, they're, they're counting on him to step up and replace maybe, you know, maybe be the Sam next year. Maybe, you know, that's Bobby Wagner, Bobby, maybe, you know, replace uh, Bobby Wagner, or KJ right eventually alongside Jordan Brooks, who I can't wait to watch his game. Cause wow. Yeah. George at fucking acid. Acid asked, do you see an expanded role for Ryan Neal once Jamal Adams returns, taking Leno Hill snaps or something else? Um, well, we kind of just, we kind of touched on that. I mean, yeah, he could we be, you could, when they go high pass scenarios, at the, at the, when they try to ice games or hold leads, which they're not doing very well, they play cover <laughs> two or whatever. Dime plus. Yeah, whatever. I mean, he's the dime guy and that's a solid role. He could also just be, um, a spell in general for I don't know if they just want to get him reps. Pete seems to like him a lot, and he, the fact that they like thrusted him in there with like all the responsibilities outside of blitzing that they would give a strong safety, um, like like hey, you got the Y kid, go run with him downfield. Like that to me shows, like you know they do like his skill set. They did have him play conservatively, but whatever. Um, when matching tight ends, I mean to say. Um, but yeah, what do you think? Yep, agree with what you said. Definitely going to be a dime plus player. Another way he could get on the field is maybe, God, the cornerbacks are shaky. Neil, I believe, yeah. in Atlanta did play some outside cornerback. However, that makes you think. But <clears throat> outside corner is very different. Because what if what if five weeks from now Leno Hill is back and he's a semblance of a player that they 
are okay with in some scenarios. And then, okay, enough to where like, hey, Neil, what if you played on the perimeter for a little well, bit? What if we got you some work outside? Well, to that point, they have, you know, DJ Reed coming in. He seems like a good coverage piece and impressed Pete Carroll in last week's practice. Right. But then also they have um, Demarius Randall, who's a, a coverage chess piece. And those guys are sort of quicker and smaller and maybe suited to Dime Plus reps where th- there's like four wide on the field as, as opposed to Neil. Maybe not. I don't know. Depends mm-hmm. on the game situation. That That's all game situation dependent. But yeah, outside cornerback would be a way of patching up uh, Trey Flowers, who's completely gone. I just don't know what Neil is like there, but it's, it's an option. Yeah, that's really sad regarding Trey, by the way. It is. Yeah, he got wrecked by the, the Dunbar edition. I think it's, it's mental. Yeah, all mental, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, next question from Scary Skull Scott at Scott yeah. 503. Yeah, it scared me too. Um, could you look at some trade targets from a scheme fit? Hashtag question overload. Very good hashtag. Oh, yeah. George did that hashtag as well. Apologies, George. Yeah. Sorry, George. Uh, Cole Rusty did not use the hashtag, so he's not a friend of this podcast. That's what that means. Can't toe the line like that. Either all in or you're (laughs) all out. That's the very nature of overload. By by its very nature, overload is like too much of something. You can't. Um, So what do you think? Trade targets. Well, we've got some questions underneath which kind of link to this as well. Bernie at C Sports Bros asked if you could add any player in the league to the defense, who do you choose? Uh, Hustle Chilson at Hustle Chilson asked, "Hey guys, first time, last time, who do you think would be a good pass rush trade target?" Saw speculation about Ryan Kerrigan and some others yesterday. Henry Wolfarth at Henry W O Twelve asked should the Seahawks give up a day two pick for a player like JJ Watt hashtag question overload nice hashtag George again came in and asked which potential edge trade target would fit Seattle's scheme in these best Carlos Dunlop Dunlap but he spelled it Dunlop interesting forgiven Ryan Kerrigan or Tack McKinney etc hashtag question overload so a lot of names, a lot of targets. Um, yeah. I, well, uh, fir- firstly, if I could add any player in the yeah. league to the defense, uh, Aaron Donald, that, that would be nice. Aaron Donald or uh, Jalen Ramsey, but probably Aaron Donald because of need. Oh, yeah. I've sort of like outed them. myself as a, as a pass rush guy rather than coverage, haven't I there? I mean, yeah. I would think pass rush too. Um, actually, well. Stefan I mean, Gil- Gilmore. I- actually, a- if you're going pass rush, why not do like Chase Young because he's not being paid right now. Well, he's being paid. He's on a rookie contract. It's important to keep this realistic. You're right. But I would take, if if it's just like you don't have to worry about anything, just the player, probably Donald, yeah. Would his run defense get him on the field and in base? <laughs> now, him in a gapped out scheme would be, be amazing, though, because oh my gosh, yeah. he's just fucking destroy your, like knife the, the hell out of your gap and don't worry any, about anything. Um, be the next Sheldon Richardson, right? Yeah. Oh God. Okay. Um, Gilmore is another option. They obviously need an outside cornerback. Apparently, he's you know the Patriots open to trading him, according to Albert Breer that came out today. So you know that would be fun. Just a, a good man yeah. corner. Anyway, the those are unrealistic. So what what about the people like Kerrigan, JJ Watt, Dunlap, uh, Tack McKinley? Who mm-hmm. who would you target? 
Um, <laughs> anyone? <laughs> well, what of the of the realistic guys though? At first, I would be like, "What's going on with JJ? Why is that a possibility?" Um, he has, I mean, he has injury problems, but like, if he can actually play, he's a, still a top five edge rusher, and he can also rush inside. Now, the thing, the thing that would be really interesting is, like, if JJ Watt were to be on the Seahawks right now, is he a Leo or is he the, the yes. big end, the five tech? Because he can literally do both as well as you would want any t- like he can be like a pure leo full time mm. if you wanted him to be he could also be everything you want in a big end full time and then he you could also rush him at the three technique and one technique and whatever so that would be really interesting it would probably be a reflection of team need yeah exactly and he yeah. would probably end up doing both but like he's 290 pounds and could be a leo as much as cliff Averill was or he could be every you know michael bennett on steroids but uh, mm. I'd argue they need like a, a they need they probably need a Leo more than they need like they don't have any wide rush. It's just like last year they don't have a speed rush. I mean JJ Watt isn't a speed rusher like pure out and out, but they need a better wide rush presence. Um, Mayo needs help because he's 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 supposed to be your third best pass rusher, not your primary guy and only guy and who can really do that. I mean obviously Alton Robinson's getting reps, but he's a bit bigger still. Um, but then Watt's weight ability to play inside is more like you said big end like and he's very good at that um so the best of the rest like dunlap kerrigan mckinley yeah uh i mean i really like tack mckinley but i don't know if atlanta would actually part with him kerrigan mm-hmm. feels like it makes the most sense just because you know he's just a pure outside rusher as in he aligns outside he can rush outside through the tackler inside the tackle. Um, the they? thing, though, the thing though with him though is that he's like one of those guys that can really only rush off the left side, and Mayoa can rush either side, but he's better off the left side. So, whereas Dunlap can flop sides, mm. but that's probably getting too in the weeds with it all. You just how need big a guy. I thought he was like he's like six I... three two sixty, isn't he? Yeah, he's like he's almost someone that I could see them saying that, like, if he was signed in the offseason, I could see them saying he's going to play Sam in certain instances. <laughs> yeah, that would be annoying. Am, am I am I off with that? I mean, maybe he could play Sam. I mean, he's played outside linebacker, obviously. Before, yeah, exactly. Or yeah. he is right now, even. Um, yeah. So, uh, and then the the thing with Dunlap is he was like tweeting out that his apartments uh, like for sale, and he's not even playing for the Bengals, so I don't know what the hell is going on there. But maybe yeah. he's. Option. Then again, there's got to be a bit more going on for no one to have traded for him yet, right? Right, like, probably. I mean, he's clearly he's he's uh, broadcasting to the world his discontent. So mm-hmm. I don't know how GMs view that or whatever. <laughs> it's probably not the um, well, like it's coming from a place of wanting to play more. So if if he's frustrated, it's for the right reasons. Mm. Um, whatever. Okay. Well, that was good stuff. Obviously, Everson Griffin signed, well, signed. He got traded by the Dallas Cowboys uh, for just a sixth-round pick to the Detroit Lions. And Seattle, for the second time, passed up the opportunity of of getting Everson Griffin, so they clearly weren't interested in him. They do need to add pass rush still, but whether they will remain to be seen, they're still waiting on Daryl Taylor. Yeah. It'd be nice if Taylor 
swooped in like uh can he run yet? Yeah, that's I don't know. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully. OP protagonist at IT underscore Isaiah T asked us super open ended, but what's up with Diggs? I assume he means Quandre Diggs because Henry Wolfarth at Henry WO12 asked, What's wrong with Quandre Diggs? Hashtag question overload. So I've seen a lot of talk about Diggs being like having an off season. I don't really know where that's come from. Uh, I, I'm not sure either. He seems to be. When they play cover three, he plays his primary assignments really well. Um, he's a really active run filler. He just has diving issues because he's small. It's it's like Earl Thomas. Earl Thomas fit the run amazingly. He just couldn't tackle. So he and Quandre can only tackle guys if they actually do everything they can to be really sound technically or if they can just tee a guy up that is themselves not very big. Um but other than that, they're going to be bouncing off guys all day long. But like as a free safety filling in the run, you know, you're just there to help. So like if you're if you're blowing up a run play and miss the tackle off often, they're you know you've got friendlies nearby. This scenarios and you talked about this where it's like a really big problem is that when you have to drive down on a slant or a glance and the middle of the field's wide open, so if you miss it, you're screwed. And it wasn't just Quandre that had issues with that last year. Leno Hill missed it. Tedrick Thompson missed it. So um, I don't know. He seems to be playing fine to me, especially in mm. coverage. So I don't know. What do you think about that? Yeah, with you, don't know where it's come from. Been very good at in coverage. I asked on my Twitter account earlier um, how many seams and posts have been completed against Seattle. None except for when Conjay Diggs was off the field and Lena Hill came in against the Patriots. It was an absolute disaster uh, after Diggs got ejected. Yeah, he misses that tackle coming down on the slant. But he's actually a really active player against the run from deep safety, like probably the most active in the league or one of because he's he's managed to stop explosive runs from happening just because he, he could fly to the football. So I don't yeah. understand that. And I have a feeling that a certain charting company, no free ads, has... <laughs> uh, perhaps uh, influence that narrative. All right, next question. Um, what is Ken Norton responsible for as a defensive coordinator under Pete Carroll? Pete is obviously very hands-on with his defense, so I assume Ken doesn't have as much control as DCs and other teams do from, once again, Hustle Chilson at Hustle Chilson. Well, that question was actually answered by Pete Carroll in his latest press conference, so I'm going to include that snippet in. Hi, Pete. Hey. Uh, what is, what's your overall assessment of the job that Ken and the defensive staff as a whole have done this season? Well, we're, we're continuing to work. I'm in there, too, with them, you know, so I'm, I'm all part of that, and I'm not separating from anything here. That uh, We have to keep working to, to make our, put our players in the best positions to be aggressive and to be... To, to be effective, and we need to help him more in in, uh, in our pressure. And we that we did not try to get after him very much last night. We didn't. That was not part of the plan going in. And, and when we needed it, we needed to adjust. And I wish I would have got that done. Um, Kenny and I are in that working that stuff out. And so we're. Our, my assessment is that we're working really hard with our, with our guys to get them in the right spots. I'd really like to feel the continuity of of, of everybody that we can count on. We're not quite there yet. Um, and I, I really think that there's because of the intent and the focus and the guys playing hard and running and hitting that we're going to uh, 
make a turn, and we're going to turn for the better, and it's going to make a big difference in this season. Pete, uh, just uh, continuing off that uh, question by Brady, just curious, what is the, the breakdown of responsibilities between you and Ken when it comes to play calling and, and game decisions? Um, you know, we, we work we work real close with the whole staff. You know, we work about what the plan is. Uh, we work about calls by situations. Um, and so we do stuff together. Kenny calls the game uh, for the most part, and then I'll add stuff in as we're going. Um, you know, I'm, I'm in the conversation the whole way with him and trying to help out as much as I can. But I also, you know, you got to stay out of, the, out of the play caller's mind um, for the most part, I, I believe. In, and so... Uh, so I'm trying to work well, complementing, and uh, that's why I'm, you know, I'm right in here with it. We're trying to get this thing knocked out and cleaned up, and and all that, and uh, uh, so we're doing it together. You've mentioned having to help your guys out a bit more a couple times this season. I mean, is it is it just trying different things and seeing if something will click, or uh, you know, how do you go about the, the process of helping your guys out more, particularly in regards to the pass rush? Yeah, it, it what I'm dancing around the specifics of there is, is to say that you know there's it's not always just the the, the down linemen that have to you know that, that are called in to do all of the pressuring and there's a um, you know it's there's a variety of ways to do stuff to help them and to complement them with guys coming um, from different angles and different different spots in the secondary and all that and uh, you know where we have to uh, we have to decide like in that game last night I felt like we, you know we, we we made it pretty straight for him down the stretch and felt thought that we would outlast him and we would make the plays that we needed to make and they seemed to be a little bit a little bit crisper in the fourth quarter they had a lot of plays of four wide receivers on the field and did a nice job with that package and uh so um it's you know it's it's a combination of things to get this done and it's also utilizing the people and taking care of the issues that you have with your people and so it's, those are all of the it's a thumbnail sketch of the variety of, of the concerns that you have in figuring this out. Questions were asked with Brady Henderson of uh, ESPN and Joe Fan of NBC Sports. And, uh, yeah, essentially it seems like Pete is, is is still Pete Carroll's defense. We all see that. But Ken, not, and he's involved in all the game planning discussions. Obviously he's not going to throw his guy under the bus. But also um, Ken Norton's the one calling the plays during the game. He's responsible for that. And so when we see a lack of feel and some odd things, we can be like, okay, well, they've got this game plan. They've got in, so for instance, they may have seen something on tape where they're like, okay, we're going to have our, our base our base package of plays. So we we really like um, a stick 33. And then we're going we're gonna to run like uh, under wheel one Sally for our man coverage pressure and we're going to have a man coverage of a stone one wide bump. And then we're going to have a zone coverage of uh, stone Boston. And then, oh, when we get into the sub package, we really like this blitz of uh, man blitz of double A one Y train or whatever, all this crap, right? They, they have a menu, like they have a sheet, like there are, uh, I don't know, McDonald's, Arby's, Wendy's, other fast food places are available no free ads um and uh they then 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 it's up to ken norton to fill in the game which what to pick what tags to add to certain calls which they'll have game planned uh and then uh yeah so and then pete carroll admitted that he himself will suggest certain things but it's all on ken norton yeah um in the game right like it's you said it's pete carroll's defense it's it's his playbook 
and he's just picking and choosing from the, you know, the, the playbook as he sees fit. Um, whether that's a game plan thing or following from his personnel in front of him, but also, I mean, you can see some, you can see some, uh, like philosophical differences between each of Pete Carroll's defensive coordinators. Um, I, I don't know it, like in modern NFL, you kind of have to, well, modern football. One of the fundamental questions a defensive coordinator might ask them is, uh, how do I want to defend seams? And, you know, with Ken Norton, that either seems to be too high or blitz them and or pressure them into throwing hot so that you don't have to defend the seam out of middle of the field closed. Maybe that's too simplistic. We talked endlessly with, you know, why they were pressuring so much, and that's probably because they felt like they had to field three linebackers because they didn't have a nickel, and then also they didn't have a Leo. So they're like, all right, well, if that's our best person now, what's the best way to use them? And that's pressuring so much. So maybe it's a chicken and the egg thing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Ken is just operating within Pete's framework. Obviously, they agree with how to order their defense because Ken is – part of the mm. carol tree so um i yeah on that seam point it also seems like seems like her huh? uh it also <laughs> seems like that they are so like to trips they'll either have the the strong safety down over two and carrying two vertical and then leave like number three up to the weak hook linebacker and the free safety essentially doubling that getting two layers on that and then in nickel, they'll go like weak sky. So the, the down safety will go to mm. the running back side. They'll have the nickel playing two up and um, they'll then still have a linebacker in the weak hook and the free safety, like essentially doubling number three up. So that's like a change up to years past. Yeah. Where they, yeah. They something different. Especially to, um, to like empty, right? Three by two. Mm, yeah, doing so- that as well, yeah. So like like you were saying, the strong rotation, seeing the match from the t- from the strong safety on the number two receiver on the trip side, the three man side, and then and then kind of playing like an area drop, but matching the bender if it gets really deep and the protection's holding up from the weak hook. Mm. Um, yeah, because I noticed on the first, <coughs> excuse me, on that play where Brooks in the Cardinals game from the broadcast where he matched that bender route really well too um not only was um well so the, the primary thing is that uh ryan neal carried the it was like a, a tight end pair and then the split uh receiver so th- three receivers of that side so brooks had the number three as a weak hook bobby zone dropping flooding to the curl as the strong hook to curl player and then neal was carrying the number two tight end um and I thought that was interesting. I was like, is he just, is he, was he wrong to do that? Or was he treating it like a wheel maybe? Or was that actually like a soft sky um, assignment? And then on top of that, when you don't have a seam matched from the underneath in the Seahawks defense, but there is a seam, they have the free safety melt to it, but he wasn't melt. He wasn't leaning t- toward that seam. Diggs wasn't. He was actually helping Brooks essentially bracket the deep bender route so that made me think that maybe what neil was doing was indeed what he was supposed to be doing and they were essentially playing like what nick saban calls like skin the skinny tag where you match number two with your 
with your uh, star or strong safety or whatever. Mm, definitely um, seen that way. Yeah, so that's yeah, that's cool. If if I need to watch more of the tape and see from the Cardinals game if they do that more, that, that's pretty interesting because they literally mm. have not done that before. Interesting. Right. So that is of course cover three defense and Scott Mayers at Scott V Mayers asked. With Seahawks, Falcons, and Jaguars at the bottom of defense rankings, has the 4-3 under cover three run its course? What do you think? No. It's just talent, Trump scheme. Those yeah. teams do not have talent. They also have play callers who are questionable. The Jacksonville playbook, and we have seen the 2018 edition, is like a terrible copy of someone who doesn't understand what the Seahawks playbook is about. It's like they just tried to carry over as much from the Gus Bradley regime as possible, but don't understand what they're doing. Like, they... I haven't seen anything like that. It's just weird. Um, Todd Wash, what, I don't know what he's doing. Uh, and then the Falcons... I don't know what... I can't name more than, like, two Falcons defenders, three. And then... The Seahawks, yeah, we know what's going on there. Well, I mean, yeah, the, the irony with the Seahawks is that they seem to be a better executing cover three team, rush four cover three team, than they are anything else, whether that's a, a middle of the field closed zone rush team or like pressuring team or blitzing team or too high or cover six. They are, I mean, they're better at writing the, the classic boring stuff, the cover three stuff, than they are anything else right now. So... Yeah, it's a it's a talent issue, um, and I think anybody would agree that you could do anything with a bunch of talent. But I think the Seahawks need to revert, need to play more cover three, and just get comfortable with the cover three principles. And I don't know, I like how many how many goes and fades can the corners give up over the course of time to where it's really not worth it because they're giving up so much yardage anyway when they, you know play 10 yards off the ball, clouding co- the corners and stuff, whatever. Mm. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, yep. <clears throat> we'll see. Good stuff. Moving over to the offense and the, the questions on the offense, uh, Camden McLaren at pros underscore Edda, she asked, the O-line may be the best Russell has ever had. The eye test says that Posick is very dominant. How does his play affect the rest of the line? And what are you seeing from the line as a whole that is making them so good compared to the awful years under Tom Cable? Hashtag question overload. That's a very, like, the second part of that is kind of a complicated question. Very complicated. Because the first two, three years with Cable was, like, quite good, especially in run blocking. But the pass pro... I mean, the the PFF grades were always horrible. The pressure rates were always horrible. But then we learned that a lot of that was because Wilson doesn't like to get the ball out. He likes to create. And in the macro, even then, that was well worth it. But it, there was still issues with it. Um, but uh, the, the O-line under Cable, the, the talent, there was lots of talent attrition. And whether or not Cable actually was a good offensive line coach or wasn't. He wasn't a good enough offensive line coach to overcome the the talent deficiencies, and he was billed billed as that 
at the time, and they also rostered as though he was good enough and he wasn't. So I don't know. I, I did I did find that it, it didn't seem like he had the guards, the athleticism with his guards to actually zone block the way he wanted to. Um, mm. I I don't know. I think Solari and Shadi <clears throat> they they've kind of they play to the strengths of their guards more inside zone more maybe changing the reads for the running back. I remember Marshawn with inside zone from gun would be thinking to get more front side of the center because body language is more pointing toward the butt of the front side guard sometimes on inside zone with Carson. It's almost like he's keeping his shoulders uh, square to the line of scrimmage at all times when he's taking the handoff and just trying to cut right up behind the tackle, ideally, you know, into the C gap if he can, or even behind the, uh, the tight end, if there's, same side tight end. So it, it does seem like there's minor differences and the guards that they've had, <clears throat> excuse me, the guards that they've had are better at blocking that way, washing guys down rather than walling them off than they, they are reaching them and getting actually front sight on them. Um, so I don't know. Uh, protection wise, the protection, the, all the statistics showed they weren't great in 2018. They weren't great in 2019. Ayupati wasn't 100% healthy in <clears throat> 2019. He's protecting really well this year. Damian Lewis is doing admirably for a rookie. Brandon Shell, for some reason, is having a career year. Um, uh, and then Ayupati's backup, Simmons, is playing really well uh, in both phases. Dwayne Brown is Dwayne Brown. so And Russ is getting the ball out um, more quickly than he has been. So uh, I don't know. What what are your, what are your thoughts? I didn't address Posick. You you should bring up Posick. Well, well, just adding to yeah, I will do. Uh, just adding to what you've said, I think Russell Wilson's probably become an easier quarterback to block for. Um, that doesn't excuse what the Tom Cable pass protection looked like. Uh, another influencing factor to the struggles under Cable was uh, you know the, obviously the drafting wasn't very good. And yeah, he may have had a large part in that or big influence, but they were crap. And then finally, I think Schottenheimer in addition to helping Wilson's pocket presence and making him easier to block for, has also, you know, by going so pass-heavy this year, it's easier that there's not as many obvious passing downs. The offensive line's not left where it's third and long and they're having to, you know, block pure pass rushers like who are just attacking upfield, which mm-hmm. is very difficult. Uh, and then, and then Posick, he... I wouldn't describe very dominant from like watching film, though I can understand how the eye test might give you that impression. I'd say he's fine. Like he's he's yeah, sort of. He's I, I'm still waiting for him to get ball rushed by like a zero nose right back into Wilson's lap, uh, but they're helping him quite well, um, both in the run and the pass game. They will absolutely line Donald up over Posick, show pressure yeah. to make sure they get one on ones, and then fall back to whatever coverage they're in, and then just Donald will just be. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. The the one thing is that they kind of from they were outside of drafting Damian Lewis, which again he was a third round pick, so it's not like he was an insanely high pick. He was third round, wasn't he, or was he second round? I already forgot. Uh, Damian no, Lewis was, was third round. Yeah, he was third round. They kind of outside of Lewis, they've since the Solari years have started, they've actually a- approached rostering guard the same way in terms of how many resources they've put into it. They've just kind of finally hit on the guys they've been wanting to hit on. Ayupati and, and Fluker worked out great in 2018. 
Oh, no, wait, wait. Uh, Sweezy was 2018. Sweezy just happened to play well as a run blocker in 2018. Yep. And uh, Fluker in 18 and then 19. Well, Fluker got injured a lot in 2019. Um, but then Simmons and and um, and and uh, Jones has had some play at guard that has been suitable. I don't know. They've. It seems like their roster approach is kind of the same. Even Shell wasn't a big splash. They just... I don't know. They're just he's, doing better. He's been pretty damn good. <clears throat> so, yeah, whatever. Whatever 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 the truth is, uh I will take the line regardless of why it is playing better. I will just I'll take it. Mm. Brendan Eckridge at Brendan Eckridge asked, "Why does Tyler Lockett disappear so much?" And this question it, it may sound silly now, but it was asked before we should say, mm-hmm. Lockett went completely off against the Cardinals and he had been a bit quieter. So what are teams doing to, you know, make him a bit of a quieter player? And, you know, he went off last, uh, uh, he went off last Sunday and obviously I need to watch what happened. But mm-hmm. Well, it seemed like um, <clears throat> he was being targeted quite a bit the first two, three weeks, but then, then the following two weeks, they just weren't featuring like the shallow as much, and he gets a lot of yards on the shallow this year. Um, but then they also were having so much success with DK on the deeper patterns that he was just kind of an important part of the pattern, but just not being targeted by Russ. I don't know. To me, it just seems like happenstance variance for this year. Um, mm. what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, exact same thing. Like Teams aren't double covering Tyler Lockett. He's just not. He's he's just not get DK's getting the football and like favored more, and Wilson does seem to be doing more of like a hitting like a certain receiver and rhythm. Like mm-hmm. it will be a big game for one guy, you know. Um, so yeah, it's just like you said, the certain routes weren't really like the read for Wilson against the play mm-hmm. just. Stuff like that can happen. The, the stuff that lock that Russ loves to target Lockett on, um, you know, the the Cardinals were a very friendly defense <laughs> to throw against for Russ's skill set, for DK yeah. and Lockett's purposes. But like they're just absolutely destroying that. That just kind of that was a, even though they the the rest of the three interceptions and we and we'll talk about Russ's game. You know, it was mostly it was largely positive. And that just kind of shows like the elite talent that the offense has when you're facing a team who, you know, you see a lot of man coverage, a lot of cover, you know, cover one pressures. It's just, you might get your shots in and they did, especially toward the end, but Russ, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett are going to eat you alive for a, for a lot of it. So it was just a, it was just kind of variance last night. Or Sunday night. <clears throat> How many Travis Homer carries is slash are too many from the one and only Beak aficionado at HD Robot and Peter. I don't have an answer for you. It's too subjective to answer. Too hot to answer. Um. I don't think it matters, actually, because I'm completely indifferent on Travis Homer getting the ball with as little carries as he has. I just, <laughs> I just don't care. Um, but I will tweet about it nonetheless. 
He's a good pass protector. Yeah, and when Velvet Mikeman at Michael B. Yargan, formerly Seahawks scout, asked, if you think Travis Homer should not be getting snaps in Seattle's offense, do you understand football? Hashtag question overload. You know, I think after we've watched that Arizona Cardinals defeat, and we've seen the pass protection issues that Bax had once Travis Homer got injured, I think you can comfortably say, if you're complaining or thinking that Travis Homer should not be getting snaps in Seattle's offense, then you do not understand football. And uh, that's the Travis Homer section of the podcast dealt with. I, I, can, um, I can sympathize or empathize with not liking draws on third and forever, but you're not, the chances of converting on third and forever are still not good, even if you throw the ball. That does not mean that's a defense of not trying to. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. That's a play call of issue, not a player issue. Right, that also. Um, yeah. Poor K? Is that, are we, is that related to the above? What is, I thought it was pork. Oh my gosh, Maddie. No? That, that, that's, that's why for, in, in Espanol. Okay. Um. That's kind of just asking the word why naked by itself, unrelated to anything. That's very philosophical. And I think that's way above our Mm, ability to answer. So I can't. I'm deleting it. I can't answer why. Um, So what are some books you like from Jesse, formerly, but still like Quixote at the Axiomatician? Well, we know what Nick Saban likes, right? Allegedly. Shit. I recently read The Cartel by Don Winslow. And I don't know. I don't know if I liked it, but there was so much violence in it, which I guess is the, mm-hmm. you know, so much violence, so much like horrid scenes. By the end, you're sort of numb to it and desensitized to it, which I guess is kind of the point of the whole book. And it's it's really good. Like I've never read a Don's Winslow thing before, but it, it was so intense, very in depth uh, look into like the Mexican drug world, and mm. really would recommend it. And kind of reflects real life events. How about you, Griffin? I mostly read nonfiction. Um, So, like, I mean, I just find that more interesting. But then I really get absorbed by, like, futuristic sci-fi dystopia stuff. And my favorite author in that genre is Octavia Butler. So I've read a lot of her her stuff. The Parable series is really good. Um, Kindred is really good. Um, With that series is... Is is that what you recommend? Like get getting into her with like is that like yeah yeah sort of and it's form? very related to current affairs because oh. they were related to affairs of at the time of writing them and they're even more applicable now. It's it's mm. I will say her books are terrifyingly prophetic, like terrifyingly, um, like creepily uh, prophetic. Oof. Um, so yeah. But they're like life affirming though, at the same time. Another thing I liked was the Glass Hotel by Emily St John Mandel. Like, that was a good fic. I, I actually like fiction, and that that was very um, like the narratives are all sort of interwoven and and sort of uh, slightly disjointed. But she manages to tie it together, and it's it's like a reflection of the the Bernie Madoff like uh, pyramid scheme coming all crashing mm. down and. And how that like impacts all the different people on the narrative, and that was great. Very 
uh honestly i should read more f- like fiction and have more make more time to read I, I do read a lot it's just not you can always read more and my writing might be better if i read yeah. a bit more so it's always good to read more good question jesse yeah very good question. and then another good question what is the best time to tweet something i don't know uh i'm sure there are i'm sure there's twitter infolytics on like when the best time to go viral is oh right so it's just all about going viral for you it's not if like... you're being vain i say the best time to tweet is after you've drank a lot of coffee and you think that whatever is going on in your head is just so important you have to share and normal mm-hmm. and just don't read it back either because otherwise yeah. it's a rough time i think it also depends on what you're tweeting because like if it's if it's something like um, if you're complaining about Travis Homer getting snaps for the Seahawks, then you don't understand anything about football. Then, you know, maybe that kind of tweet was a bit strong while being true, perhaps offended people and came across for people who didn't know me as a fully serious thing when I may have been slightly joking and also fueled by dopamine of evil Twitter where, you know, someone may have liked my tweet a few times because they thought it was a good tweet and the Seahawks had just won a close game. And um, were there any substances involved at the time either? There was quite a lot of caffeine. There's a theme to a lot of our, both our tweets, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good time to tweet. Um, See sports bro. So we're amending this question into the past tense because it was asked in mm. future tense. What will you do on Sunday? So what did you do on Sunday to fill the void with no Seahawks game? I forgot how strong Negronis are as a cocktail. Mm. That's one part red vermouth, mm. one part gin one part Campari with a slice of orange uh, over uh, a glass full of ice. It's just stirred. And yeah, I got yeah. nicely, well, actually kind of scary uh, drunk on that because I was like, I didn't realize the Negroni was this strong. I, f- I forgot this is just pure alcohol and I'm drinking, I drank three of these and this glass is very big and oh my gosh. So yeah, mm-hmm. you. I don't even remember what I did on Sunday. I watched some football. I was kind of bored. I mean, people like we joke like, "Oh, thank God, no Seahawks football." Our heart rate. I mean, yeah, it was nice not to be stressed out, but I was bored. Um, I was missing watching the team that I like to root for. You didn't go and to I, the volcano. I, I think I did not. I should have, man. <laughs> Damn it. Um, but I think I did like household chores and stuff. Um. So, <clears throat> Maddie, whiskey or weed? Again, from C Sports Bro, Bernie. That is a cop question because uh, cannabis is illegal in the United mm. Kingdom. So, That's... I'm going to pick whiskey. That's... Wink. But, uh, yeah, no, I've actually got into whiskey very much so in, in quarantine. That's draconian. <laughs> Why is it not legal? Is it like, is that like on the docket at all times? Like every. 
um, election and stuff like oh what's your stance no. on marijuana is it really well like, like it's like not the, imminent the, occasionally the fringe party of um the green party will campaign on make um legalizing weed and unfortunately they don't get many votes so um and yeah we, weed's got people pretty i mean it's not legal nationally here yet it's just states and then technically like if something is legal in a state and it's illegal federally like f- federal law enforcement could do something if they wanted to technically but then there's like they just don't because that would be a, a mess it's much more mm. complicated than that um i have heard of zero of those substances and do not know how to answer the question mm. do beans really go on toast from velvet mike man at michael b jargon you may have heard of mike yeah they do so that was a good question mike haha <laughs> you got it uh dan moore See, like, there's nothing offensive about it if you think about it. To me, as an American, I just never would have thought putting beans on toast. I just wouldn't have ever thought to do that. Well, now, I can think about dipping toast into, like, chili that has lots of beans in it. Okay. Sorry. I'm not trying to upset. Yeah. So what you want to do is you want to you get your toast, put it in the toaster, get your bread out the toaster, butter it so it melts real nice, put your You've warmed your beans up in a pan, like Heinz baked beans. You've all heard of Heinz, Pittsburgh Steelers. And Mm. then you stick that, those warm beans on your toast. You you grate some cheddar cheese, proper cheddar cheese, not not, none of that plasticky American shit. And then you maybe serve this portion with uh, some HP sauce, which is like uh, a brown sauce, kind of like Worcestershire sauce, but thicker and sweeter. Uh, a condiment mm. of a similar consistency to ketchup and it's got an umami like flavor to it too and then you enjoy it and you, you stop you stop asking do beans really go on toast because it's stupid <laughs> right right mm. uh, right. Dan Morse asked another question about cuisine what did he ask what did Dan ask what, what's the best way to make bangers and mash at home in my own kitchen Dan at Dan Morse underscore and on Twitter I replied uh, with a shotgun. Bangers are great. Yeah, bangers bangers are great. Yeah. What, what what do you know about a banger? We can get a proper banger over here. Are you kidding me? Uh, probably like um like an, the sort of banger you could get in America either to me is like a nice kielbasa mm-hmm. or just a hot dog like uh, a bratwurst. You know all that German influence or um. Maybe pepperoni on a pizza. That's that's good. That sounds good. But there's a way to make bangers and mashes. You get you get your sausage right. You put it on a grill. You you grill your sausage. While you're doing that, you uh, parboil some potatoes after peeling them. Obviously, some people put the peel in. Well, I don't really like that. Uh, and then you, you then you parboil them until they're nice and soft. Chop them up so they parboil quicker. And then you get your masher. You got to have a potato masher in a good kitchen. And then you stick a fuck ton of butter in there. Okay, when you think you're going to have a heart attack from it, you should put more butter in. And then add some a bit of milk if it's looking a bit too creamy. Keep bloody mashing it. Add more milk if it's not runny enough for your liking, you freak. Maybe add some leek into that mash. Maybe a bit of French mustard if you want to go all continental. And uh, that's <laughs> bangers and mash. So there you go, Dan. Right. That was a very that. good answer. That, was a very, that might have been the most substantive answer of the night. Mm, there you go. Mm. And then Velvet 
Mike Mann at Michael B. Jargon once again follows up with, is it an African swallow or a European swallow? I don't know what. I actually have a very robust background in bird taxonomy. Oh, you, you love the birds. It's actually South African cliff swallow. So, I mean, that is technically the continent of Africa, right? That's what Wikipedia tells me. I've read one headline on Wikipedia and I'm now an expert on swallows. Mm-hmm. Well, how about this? Is it an either? Does it have to be an either or thing? Can it be both? Okay. Is at Seattle Overlord at, is at Seattle Overload Antifa hashtag question Overload that Mike Ben at Michael B Jargon. Um, we are. We do not like fascism. That's. I think we're in agreement on that. That's the oh, extent yeah. of our extent of Wait, our that's, answer. That's what he's asking. Yeah, we hate fascism. We're an anti-fascist <laughs> podcast. I will. What, what, what kind of question is that? This guy, we've given him four questions on here. He's just wasting our time. What well, that's just offensive. What is the team's greatest threat for world domination? Antifa. Uh, Bernie at C Sports Bros asks. What, what um, world do, world domination might be difficult. Winning the Super Bowl be so, somewhat easier, and perhaps mm-hmm. they should set their sights onto that. And what is what what is the the biggest threat? The defense facing an offense that is as good as their offense in the playoffs. So the Packers going to face the Packers in the NFC Championship game is my prediction. That yeah, so the Packers is like the worst possible matchup for Seattle because obviously their offense is cooking, but also their defense will just throw a ton of crap. Like they'll they'll they have like moving pass rushers like Zadarius Smith. We saw last year actually the problems that their defense caused for Russell. On the offense, they've got so much disguise, like too high looks. That would be kind of hellish. Yeah. Agreed. World domination, Pete would need to, he would have to appeal to some some of his um, geopolitical friends for that. Oh, yeah, that very good point. Which he has some, he's had dinner with, he's had dinners with U.S. generals before. That's, that's because mm. he's. I'm sure he asked lots of uh, useful questions as well. And... Okay. Okay, oh, wow, wow. Wow, that was tough. That, what a grilling. Glad yeah. it's all That was good. I like that. That was fun. Maybe we should do it every bye week and actually do it during the bye week rather than yeah. after the yeah. have lost the first game of the season. There's many topics For to talk sure. about. I, I was muting myself throughout the cough really loudly. Were you was was it working the muting? <laughs> like could you hear the thing really is, loud? like there's a really good editor of this podcast who like they are very capable of just chopping out the cough. I don't know. Maybe you haven't appreciated how many coughs are edited out. I know. Um, I know. It was really. Like, I, I even. You probably still. Because I missed some of it. Because I was coughing a little bit. But I need to be more aware of muting before, right before I cough. Or you just. You know. It's fine. Like, I, I can just chop it out. Or the editor, sorry. 